Hey guys, welcome to Precision Nutrition's Eat, Move, and Live Better podcast. I'm Dr. John Berardi, co-founder of Precision Nutrition, and if you're not familiar with us, over the last 15 years, we've become the world's largest online nutrition, fitness, and health coaching company. Through that time, as you can imagine, we've watched fad diets and fitness crazes come and go. But when the fads have failed and the crazes died out and people just want something that works, they turn to Precision Nutrition for things like expert coaching, guided mentorship, and online support. In this podcast, which is a mix of recorded articles, interviews, and roundtable discussions, myself and my Precision Nutrition colleagues will help make the whole nutrition, fitness, and health process work for you. Ideally, you'll discover that eating, moving, and living well can be easy and enjoyable for now and into the future. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Bryce from Precision Nutrition with today's reading, Carbohydrate Tolerance. Is Your Ability to Eat Carbs Determined by Your Genes? Written by Helen Collius. Ever wonder why some people can eat bushels of bananas without gaining a pound, but you seem to gain weight just by looking at a potato? Maybe it's your genes. And no, we're not talking about your Levi's. But just because you're carb intolerant doesn't mean you're doomed. These simple guidelines can help. Imagine for a moment. You and a friend sit down for dinner. Your friend orders a rice and potato sandwich with a side of spaghetti. I'm carb tolerant, he explains, taking a sip of his beer and glancing eagerly at the dessert buffet. You, on the other hand, order the green salad with salmon, hold the chickpeas. You are not carb tolerant, but you are annoyed with your friend. In fact, for a bite of his sandwich, you would gladly stab him with a fork. From personal experience, it can make a friendship kind of messy. So what is carb tolerance anyway? Actually, come to think of it, does carb tolerance even exist? Sure, the phrase peppers a lot of contemporary dinner conversations, but does anybody really know what it means? Maybe carb intolerant people just eat too many carbs, or the wrong kind. You know, cookie carbs, donut carbs, or my personal favorite, Dorito carbs. Maybe the problem isn't carbs at all. Maybe they're baked potato has more sour cream and butter than potato. Then again, maybe some of those people simply can't process carbs the way the rest of us do. In other words, maybe their genes are to blame. Genetic polymorphisms and carbohydrate tolerance. Guess what? The genetic explanation isn't completely out to lunch. Recently, researchers found a correlation between obesity and a person's ability to make amylase an enzyme that helps to break starch down in your mouth. But why would amounts of this enzyme differ from person to person? After all, as humans, we evolved to eat a varied diet, including a wide range of macro and micronutrients. You'd think we'd be all roughly equal in terms of our digestive abilities. And yet, we're not. Or not necessarily. There's even a term for why this happens. Genetic polymorphism. Polymorphisms are natural variations in a gene, DNA sequence, or chromosome that show up in behavior or physiology, your phenotype. They're what make you different from the person sitting beside you. You might even say that they're what makes you, you. Most polymorphisms are small, involving a single base pair. To imagine how that plays out in the body, compared to changing a single letter in a book, it results in a difference so minor that most people would never even notice it. But sometimes the differences are much bigger, involving a complete chromosome. 
That's more like gaining or losing an entire chapter of a book. Differences like that result in very obvious variations between individuals. And of course, genetic polymorphisms also can be anything in between. Here are some examples. Single nucleotide polymorphisms. Single point changes, one base pair, are called single nucleotide polymorphisms, or SNPs. One well-known SNP is a variation of the CYP1A2 gene. Now, depending on which version of this gene you have, you'll metabolize caffeine faster or more slowly. If you have the faster version, you're caffeine tolerant, since you clear it out faster. And for more on that, you can see our article titled, All About Coffee, Good For Us or Disease Waiting to Happen, at PrecisionNutrition.com. Now, SNPs give rise to relatively minor polymorphisms, such as variations in caffeine tolerance. But polymorphisms can also result from changes to the number of genes. These are called copy number variations, or CNVs, which can create some significant differences amongst people. Remember the P experiment from high school biology? Yeah, me neither. But here's how I'm told it went. Two copies of a P gene coded for wrinkles resulted in, you guessed it, wrinkled peas. And two copies of a P gene coded for smoothness resulted in smooth peas. Either way, there had to be two copies of the gene, no more and no less. For a long time, scientists believed there were always two copies of a gene, and any differences between two members of the same species had to do with subtle differences in the gene itself. You might have more than one version of a gene, triggering many potential differences. Or you might have a single-point mutation, a SNP, giving you nearly unlimited possibilities for variation. But no matter what, you are stuck with two copies. Turns out there's more to this story. You can, in fact, have more than two copies of a gene, or you can have fewer than two. This is called copy number variation. And the two main forms of CNVs are, not surprisingly, duplication, adding of genes, or deletion, removing of genes. Instead of the standard two copies of each gene, you might have zero copies, or three copies, or even 30. Scientists guess that up to 12% of our DNA has CNVs. You and I, or any two random people, differ by at least 1% genetically, mostly as a result of CNVs. Even identical twins can have different CNVs. CNVs have been associated with many complex diseases, ranging from lupus to Crohn's. CNVs have also been linked to resisting HIV infection. CNVs may also give us one clue to carb tolerance. The enzyme amylase. Salivary amylase is an enzyme in your saliva that starts the digestion of starch. We've known about amylase for a long time. In fact, the first scientific article about it was published over 100 years ago. The gene that makes amylase, AMY1, varies in copy number from person to person. And AMY1 genes have a huge CNV range, from 2 to 16 copies. More AMY1 genes mean more salivary amylase. More salivary amylase means you break down carbs more effectively immediately. As soon as you bite into that potato or plantain, your AMY1 goes to work. And again, if you have more AMY1 genes, your carb digestion work crew will be bigger and faster. Amylase and evolution. In 2007, researchers learned that people living in cultures that traditionally ate high starch diets had more AMY1 copy numbers and more amylase enzyme in their saliva. 
People living in historically agricultural societies like Japan had on average seven copies of AMY1, while people near the Arctic Circle and places like Yakut, Russia, had on average four copies of AMY1. By the way, chimpanzees have two copies of AMY1. This makes a lot of sense if you think about it. After all, if you eat more starch, you need more of the enzyme that breaks down starch. But what happens to people who have fewer copies of AMY1 in a world where everybody has access to high starch diets? That's what the scientists who performed the study wanted to find out. And you can find a link to the study at precisionnutrition.com carbohydrate tolerance. Researchers compared the genes of 149 Swedish families, or 342 Swedes, that included siblings with a body mass index differing by more than 10 kilograms per meter squared. In comparing the siblings, they used a specific genetic study, gene-centric association study, to look for CNVs that are associated with variations in BMI. Studies like this, population genetics, need to examine a lot of statistics to ensure the reliability of their findings. Initially, this study turned up 76 CNVs that could explain differences in BMI, but all except AMY1 turned out to be false positives. Meanwhile, further research involving subjects from the UK, France, and Singapore only further confirmed that AMY1 and BMI connection. For instance, they looked at the DNA of brothers and sisters from English families, twins in the UK, one of whom was lean and one who was overweight. They wanted to see if they could find any differences in the CNVs that might explain the difference in obesity. So what are the results? People who have more copies of AMY1, that gene that makes amylase, have more salivary amylase and lower BMI. If you have more than 9 copies of AMY1, then you are 8 times less likely to be obese compared to someone who has fewer than 4 copies of AMY1. In other words, more amylase equals less body weight, and vice versa. But before you start blaming all your tendency to gain weight on your genetic inheritance, it's important to note the total BMI range was only 2 kilograms per meter squared, or from 25 to 27. So while carb intolerance may influence your tendency to gain weight, it's not the only factor involved. So what's the conclusion? This is the first study to link carbohydrate metabolism to obesity through salivary amylase and its gene AMY1. The findings suggest that there really is such a thing as carb tolerance. People with more AMY1 are lucky. Here's why. They naturally eat less. More amylase means more digestion of carbohydrates in the mouth. More digestion in the mouth means foods may taste sweeter and feel richer. As a result, people with more amylase might feel satisfied eating less. Perhaps this also explains why eating slowly generally promotes weight loss or maintenance. The more slowly we eat, the more we digest in the mouth. This might in turn lead to feeling more satisfied with less food. They also tolerate glucose better. Higher levels of salivary amylase correlate to a higher preabsorptive insulin response, and this is key to glucose tolerance. The reasons aren't completely clear, but it may be because amylase breaks down carbohydrates into glucose and short-chain sugars that bind to sweet receptors, signaling the release of insulin. Everything's lower GI to them. Different amylase concentrations essentially result in different rates of carbohydrate absorption of the same food or a different glycemic index for each person eating a given food. 
In other words, dozens of years of glycemic index may have just been foiled by this new finding. <laughs> Yikes, as if it weren't complicated enough. So what can you do? While all this sounds complicated, there are some simple solutions. If, based on your genetic inheritance, you think that you may have fewer copies of AMY1 and may, as a result, have a low carb tolerance, there are a few things you can do to ensure that you stay healthy and lean. Number one, eat slowly and chew your food thoroughly. It may sound simple, and this strategy is far too often overlooked, but by eating slowly, you give whatever amylase you do have more time to break down the carbohydrates you just ate. This puts you in the same position as someone with more amylase who eats faster. Ha ha ha! Now the game changes, Mr. Bond. Uh, but I digress. Number two, use probiotics. Studies on mice suggest that lower amylase and associated obesity might be related to negative changes in gut microbiota. Probiotics can't hurt and might help, so even if you're not a mouse, they're worth a try. Number three, keep eating healthy carbs. This means high fiber, nutrient-rich foods like beans and legumes, minimally processed whole grains, and colorful fruits and vegetables. People with lower amylase may benefit from eating slightly fewer carbs than people with high amylase, but going super low carb probably isn't the answer either. After all, even people on the low end of the amylase production spectrum still make more amylase than chimps and nearly all other mammals. Chimps may not eat bread, but they do eat carbohydrate-rich fruits, bananas being the most obvious. And it's not too often that you see an overweight chimp. So go ahead and eat that sweet potato. Just try to refrain from stabbing your carb-tolerant friend with a fork. That's it for today's reading. And again, if you want to read the article yourself, simply go to precisionnutrition.com slash carbohydrate dash tolerance. Have a great day. Okay, everyone, that's it for this week's edition of Precision Nutrition's Eat, Move, and Live Better podcast. For more information about how to eat, move, and live better yourself, and for some awesome free nutrition and health resources, come visit us on the web at www.precisionnutrition.com. You could also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at InsidePN. Talk to you next time.